Senator Warren, you would be the oldest president ever inaugurated. I'd like you to weigh in as well. Uh, I'd also be the youngest woman ever inaugurated. <laughs> That was Elizabeth Warren at the Democratic presidential debate in Los Angeles. Today on the podcast, we're taking you to LA where I just returned from covering the event. And with California's March 3rd, 2020 primary quickly approaching, we thought it'd be a good time to take a look at the state of the race. You're listening to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. All right, enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. But well, we just left pleasure. Paradise. Paradise. Can you please hug me? <laughs> Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, we clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. It's the day of the Democratic debate, and Joe Biden is making a last-minute stop at a strike in L.A. where McDonald's workers are fighting for a $15 minimum wage. He speaks for five minutes to support their efforts and delivers a clear message encouraging the formation of labor unions. When they passed the NLRB legislation, they didn't say they allowed unions. They said it's in the interest of America to promote a union. When unions do well, everybody does well. The poor have a way up, the wealthy stay very wealthy, and the economy grows. So folks, don't back down. Don't give up. Stay with it. Stick with the SEIU and the rest of the unions that are fighting for this. We must organize and take them on and end the abuse of power. Thank you very, very much. He makes his way off stage, hops into his car, tells reporters he'll see us at the debate, and drives off into the distance. And with that, I make my way to Loyola Marymount University the site of the sixth Democratic presidential debate. Shortly after arriving, I stumble across Tom Perez, chairman of the Democratic National Committee, another way of saying he leads the National Party. So there's seven candidates scheduled to appear on stage that night, and there's growing concern about a lack of diversity and the powerful role predominantly white states like Iowa and New Hampshire have in the nominating process. So I asked Perez about it, and here's his response. Is there room for the party to rethink the way it orders its primaries? Well, we, uh, the, the order is the order for 2020, and uh, California uh, moved up significantly. And when Iowa is voting on the 3rd, Californians we'll will have their ballots. We'll and voting. you'll be voting too. And so, well, again, I, I'm focused on the next 11 <laughs> months, and that's what we're going to focus on is winning the election up and down the ballot. California is just a very progressive state, and... Again, I'm focused on winning right now, sir, and I, my singular focus is electing Democrats up and down the ticket in 2020. And after 2020, we plan, we execute, and we reflect. And there will come a time for reflection. Right now is the time for organizing and winning everywhere and making sure we're competing everywhere. You're a moderate or a more you, you liberal? Can, you can go, ma'am. Oh, you can, you can finish if you want. Do you urge for more I, moderate? That's up to the voters. The, the, the voters will determine that. That's why we have a primary. I then make my way upstairs to the media filing center where a flock of reporters are assembled to watch the debate on the monitors. 15 seconds away. And here we go. 
Good evening and welcome to the PBS NewsHour Politico-Democratic Presidential Debate from Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. I'm Judy Woodruff. And I am joined... So the debate gets rolling and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar is the first to bring up California while talking about the threat of climate change. I very much hope we're not going to have to relocate entire cities, uh, but we will probably have to relocate some individual residents. And the problem right now is that this climate change is an existential crisis. And you are seeing it here in California with the fires uh, that you just had. Uh, you saw it in Northern California, as was mentioned with Paradise. Um, and the most moving video from that to me was a 30 second video of that dad driving his little girl through the lapping fires with the neighborhood burning behind him and singing to her to calm her down. We cannot wait to act. Uh, there's an Ojibwe saying that great leaders make decisions uh, not for this generation, but seven generations from now. This president doesn't keep his decisions for seven minutes. So what I think we need to do, get back into the International Climate Change Agreement. I will do that on day one. On day two, bring back the uh, clean power rules. On day three, the gas mileage standards. I see the governor of California, who's been working so hard to get those done, defied every step of the way by the Trump administration, and then introduced sweeping legislation to put a price on carbon and build a fridge to the next century. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Which means Klobuchar. we must upgrade our buildings and our building standards. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. I asked California Governor Gavin Newsom and Klobuchar about this moment following the debate, and here's what each of them had to say. We start with Newsom, then Klobuchar. What's that? The gas emissions battle with Trump. Klobuchar mentioned you Klobuchar. by name. And the senator, to her credit, has been very aggressive on that, looking at the absurdity of the DOJ uh, talking about collusion and talking about the fact that California somehow did something or automobile companies that voluntarily agreed to our tailpipe standards did something inappropriate. Just so how the Trump administration's weaponized Department of Justice weaponized the EPA, shows their complete absurdity and bankrupt uh, ethics. And I'm very proud of her to have been leading the charge as a senator. I'm glad she recognized that tonight. Okay. Uh, senator Klobuchar, you singled out Gavin Newsom earlier in the debate. Can you just elaborate on what you, you feel California is doing on climate change? Oh, okay. That, that one is worth one more answer, even though they want me to leave. Uh -oh. So um, I didn't get to elaborate on that like I would have wanted to. So California has been a leader on climate change. And one of the things that Governor Newsom is trying to do is to get the gas mileage standards to exactly where President Obama wanted them to be. But what he has been stopped by is the Trump administration. Not only have they directly taken it on, they actually threatened the car companies that wanted to meet the standards, like Ford Motor Company, threatened them with antitrust violations. Uh, that is unbelievable to me, um, when in fact the governor is simply trying to do what we want to do as a country and that most of the car companies had originally agreed to until this president came into town. It's time for him to go. Senator, question for a 10-year-old. Ten Up to this point in the debate, things seem fairly tame. But then, this fiery exchange ensues between Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg over campaign donors. So the mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. Um, think about who comes to that. 
He had promised that every fundraiser he would do would be open door, but this one was closed door. We made the decision many years ago that rich people in smoke-filled rooms would not pick the next president of the United States. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Mayor, your okay. response. A quick note on that. Warren was referring to a fundraiser Buttigieg had in Napa Valley. While she said it was closed, and it's true the event was not open to all reporters, there was one reporter who was in attendance covering the fundraiser on behalf of all media outlets through a pool report. Okay, here's Buttigieg's response. You know, according to Forbes magazine, I am the, literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if, this is important. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. If I pledge, if I pledge never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. Now, supposing that you went home feeling the holiday spirit, I know this isn't likely, but stay with me, and decided to go on to peteforamerica.com and give the maximum allowable by law, $2,800. Would that pollute my campaign because it came from a wealthy person? No, I would be glad to have that support. We need the support from everybody who is committed to helping Maybe. us defeat Donald Trump. Shortly thereafter, Klobuchar chimes in to call for less internal division. She's then followed by Bernie Sanders mocking Buttigieg for the donations he's received from billionaires. Take a listen. I came here to make a case for progress, and I have never even been to a wine cave. I've been to the Wind Cave in South Dakota, which I suggest you go to. So what is making a case for progress about? That is what unites us up here instead of what divides us, which is campaign finance reform. That means passing a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. Now, there's a real competition going on up here. My good friend Joe, and he is a good friend, he's received contributions from 44 billionaires. Pete, on the other hand, is trailing, Pete. You only got 39 billionaires contributing. So, Pete, we look forward to you. I know you're an energetic guy and a competitive guy to see if you could take on Joe on that issue. When the debate ends, Warren and Buttigieg talk to a few reporters, but both dedicate far more time to national TV networks like CNN. But I did find one candidate to chime in on the subject. Tom Steyer is a billionaire who has donated to political causes, but chose not to weigh in on the matter at the debate. So once the debate ends and I make my way to the spin room to ask questions, I spot him and try to ask him my question. I try unsuccessfully for 10 minutes as he continues to dodge me. So Tom, 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 thank you. you what do you make of the argument that Is impeachment change? Change how you're conducting your campaign. No. But I walk around a string of reporters to chase him down, and he realizes I'm not going away. So he turns around and finally responds. Just tell me why you won't answer. You said you would. What's the question? Why? Was it fair for Senator Sanders to criticize him? Look, as far as I was concerned, the most important question in front of Americans tonight was, who can beat Donald Trump? And so I thought a lot of the back and forth and criticism between candidates wasn't stuff that I participated in for a good reason. Because to me, the real question is, should we be attacking each other or should we be pointing out how we can beat Donald Trump? So to me, that isn't the question that I'm focused on. The question I'm focused on is, we know how Trump's going to run. He's going to run on the economy. 
we know he said last week, Democrats will destroy this economy in 15 minutes. It's almost a word-for-word -word quote. So to me, the question is, and the question for everybody on that stage is, okay, who can beat Donald Trump? Who can go after him on the economy? Who can talk about prosperity and growth as well as economic justice? And I started a business from scratch. I spent 30 years doing it. I can discuss prosperity a lot better than Donald Trump. He was a fake businessman. He's a fake steward of the American economy. He's failed at it in both places. And someone has got to go after him and take him down, and I can do it. That is what people should be talking about, not about whether they were, you know, pouring wine in a cave someplace. I didn't even understand that. Do billionaires have a responsibility like you did to donate? Twice. I try to press him, but just like that, he's gone. This time for good. So back to the debate. There's two moments that stand out to me. One of them comes from Andrew Yang, an Asian American who was the lone candidate of color on the debate stage. None of the six white candidates were asked to address the lack of diversity on stage, but the entrepreneur was asked to focus on it. Here's what Yang had to say. I want to switch topics to you, Mr. Yang, a new question. The Democratic Party relies on black, Hispanic, and Asian voters, but you are the only candidate of color on the stage tonight, and the entire field remains overwhelmingly white. What message do you think this sends to voters of color? It's both an honor and disappointment to be the lone candidate of color on the stage tonight. I miss Kamala, I miss Corey, though I think Corey will be back. I grew up the son of immigrants, uh, and I had many racial epithets used against me as a kid. But black and Latinos have something much more powerful working against them than words. They have numbers. The average net worth of a black household is only 10% that of a white household. For Latinos, it's 12%. If you're a black woman, you're 320% more likely to die from complications in childbirth. These are the numbers that define race in our country. And the question is, why am I the lone candidate of color on this stage? Fewer than 5% of Americans donate to political campaigns. You know what you need to donate to political campaigns? Disposable income. The way we fix it, the way we fix this is we take Martin Luther King's message of a guaranteed minimum income, a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for all Americans. I guarantee if we had a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month, I would not be the only candidate of color on this stage tonight. Thank you, Mr. Yang. Yang previously came on our podcast, and you can check our show notes for a link to that episode. But in the debate, Yang highlighted his proposal for universal basic income, which he calls the Freedom Dividend. And that plan would give every American $1,000 a month from the federal government with no strings attached. Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, who also came on our show recently to discuss how his city is giving people $500 a month through a UBI pilot program, said he didn't like how Yang's plan would force people to choose between $1,000 a month and existing aid programs like food stamps. And that story generated some attention from our listeners at the time, so I asked Yang about it after the debate. He ignored the concern about slashing existing benefits and said he likes tubs, but wants $1,000 a month for people instead of 500. Andrew, what do you make of the Stockton <laughs> mayor opposing UBI? What do you think of the total? I'm a huge fan of Michael Tubbs and the, and the Stockton UBI trial. I just think it should be $1,000 instead of $500, but huge fan. Do you think there should be a, a way for people to keep their existing benefits and get the 1000 a month? And that brings us to my final highlight from the debate. It comes at the very end when the moderator asks whether candidates would give a gift 
or choose to issue an apology to a fellow candidate. It clearly catches Yang off guard. We are coming to the end of our time. A lot of hands up. We apologize for that. But in the spirit of the season, I'd like to ask each one of you, is there someone else among these candidates that you would, I have, you have two options. One, a candidate from whom uh, you would ask forgiveness for something maybe that was said tonight or another time, <laughs> or, or a candidate to whom you would like to give a gift. And I'm gonna start with you, Mr. Yang. Wow. <laughs> Yang goes on to answer it, as do the other six candidates on stage with him. But you'll notice a pattern. The two women ask for forgiveness for their passion, while the five men offer gifts. The gender dynamic's pretty interesting. Here, take a listen. Um, I don't think I have much to ask forgiveness for. You all can correct me on this. Um, in terms of a gift, uh, Elizabeth has done me the honor of starting to read my book. Yes. I would love to give each of you a copy of my book. <laughs> it's about It's about how we're going through the greatest economic transformation in our country's history, the fourth industrial revolution. It is grinding up our communities. And DC okay. is out to lunch on this. Our media yeah. organizations are not covering it adequately. I wrote a book on it. And uh, if you like data, this book is for you. This goes for the people at home too, if you like data and books. Mayor Buttigieg, ask forgiveness or give a gift? I think all of us want the same thing at the end of the day. We know what a gift it would be to the future and to the country for literally anybody up here to become president of the United States compared to what we've got. Senator Warren. Um, I will ask for forgiveness. I know that sometimes um, I get really worked up <laughs> and sometimes I get a little hot. I don't really mean to. What happens is when you do 100,000 selfies with people, <laughs> you hear enough stories about people who are really down to their last moments. You know, I met someone just last week in Nevada who said that he has diabetes and that he has access to a prescription because he's a veteran. But his sister has diabetes and his daughter has diabetes, and they simply can't afford insulin. So the three of them spend all of their time figuring out how to stretch one insulin prescription among three people. When I think about what we could do if we get a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, and get back the White House, we could make this country work for people like that man. And that's why I'm in this fight. Vice President Biden. My wife and I have a call list of somewhere between 20 and 100 people that we call at least every week or every month to tell them I'm here. I give them my private phone number. They keep in touch with me. The little kid who says, I can't talk, what do I do? I have scores of these young women and men who I keep in contact with. And the reason I would give everyone here a gift is they want to do something like I do, making their lives better, because there's a lot of people who are hurting very, very, very badly. Senator Sanders, forgiveness or a gift? Well, I can 
give out any one of four books that I wrote. <laughs> but I think the gift <clears throat> that all of us need to give to the American people is a very, very different vision of the reality of the Trump administration. And the vision that we need to bring forth is to create a government and a nation based on love and compassion, not greed and hatred. Senator Klobuchar. Well, I'd ask for forgiveness anytime any of you get mad at me. Uh, I can be blunt, uh, but I am doing this because I think it is so important um, to pick the right candidate here. Mr. Steyer. And so the gift that I'd like to give everyone on this stage, which was the original question, is the gift of teamwork. And with that, the debate ends. In the heart of LA, there's no questions about housing or homelessness. Two major issues in the area and across California. So I asked Governor Gavin Newsom at the end if he's pleased with the level of attention California got, and this is what he tells me. No discussion about homelessness no, tonight? No, doesn't surprise me. On housing. Were you pleased with the level of attention Californians yeah. got? It's such a big issue here. It's not as big of an issue across the rest of the country. Uh, it really shows you the acuity of the challenge we have. It's not unique to California, uh, but it's never been a top agenda item from a national prison. Let's be honest, in the last decade, it hasn't been even at the state. I think it's one of the reasons it's as bad as it is in this state. Those days are over. We had a big announcement today with the mayor in Bakersfield. It's an issue that we are saturating the state, putting emergency dollars, new plans, new energy, new focus, new accountability to play, and we're going to own up to this, and you're going to start seeing some improvements in the next few years. Last one, which candidates are you actively considering? These are, a lot of these are quite literally friends, people I've known for years, and a lot of them I've supported in the current positions, they've supported me. Uh, these are tough, tough decisions. And with that, the debate and spin room conversations were over. To recap the night, I chatted with Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School. Here from the media filing room, at the LA debate. Joining me now is Loyola Marymount professor, Ms. Jessica Levinson. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. So I want to start out by asking your takeaways from the debate. What were they? So I think the big takeaway is this actually was quite a substantive debate. I think it was great to have seven people on the stage as opposed to more. We got to hear about the candidates' policy proposals. We got to hear about their differences. Um, the thing that I didn't love is that the only time they really interacted was when they were fighting and basically throwing shade at each other. But I thought that all the candidates essentially proved why they should be there. Uh, they talked very specifically about their policy proposals, why their proposals were different than their competitors, and I thought it was an intellectual debate. So going to the issues, one thing that stood out to me was Klobuchar talking with talking about Governor Newsom, who was sitting in the front row and addressing wildfires. What explicit references were there to California, and what should California voters take away from tonight's debate? Well, I think a lot of the issues that we deal with in California, the nation deals with. So for California-centered issues, what did we talk about? Climate change. Obviously, this was a big part of the debate. Senator Klobuchar, I thought, had a fantastic answer on climate change, talking about a father driving his eight-year-old daughter through a fire, singing to her to keep her calm. I think that she really talked about 
the specifics of the issue, but also humanized it. And she used anecdotes throughout the night. Um, we did not really hear about homelessness in the way... I, I was going to say, I asked Governor, Governor Gavin Newsom that in the spin room, and he just rattled off, like, housing and homelessness were the two big issues that California's facing that really weren't fully fledged out here. Yeah. Or homelessness even at all fledged out. I think that this is a failing of the... The debate that you can come to not just California, but you can come to Los Angeles. We're facing a humanitarian crisis. We have people sleeping on the streets, people dying on the streets. We have a huge homeless population. And the idea that you don't ask the Democratic presidential candidates what their plan would be, how they would work with state and local officials to tackle this is, I think, a big failing. A big moment from tonight was Elizabeth Warren and then Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders jumping in on Buttigieg for, just like we say, California has a lot of donors, and he was, Sanders was joking, Biden has 44, Buttigieg, you only have 39, what's going on? You gotta build that up. Uh, And we've seen criticism from these candidates that they're coming to California still for the money. Buttigieg, 63 appearances in the state, two-thirds of them fundraisers. Biden, 36 appearances, 72% of them fundraisers. Are these top high-profile candidates actually listening to California voters? I think they're listening to California donors. So, are you know, are California? What do we? Who do vote? <laughs> yeah. So, California voter donors do vote, and they vote, frankly, in larger numbers than average members of the electorate. But you know, it, it has become kind of an evil thing to have large, a large donor base in the sense that you have wealthy donors. I thought it was interesting that there was one of the bigger scuttles of the night was really about this idea of who's the true grassroots candidate, who uh, who can say that they're pure of the sins of large donors. And it is still, you know, Mayor Pete Buttigieg made the point that you can't unilaterally disarm, that this is so important, essentially, that you need to be able to get money from whoever is going to give it to you so that you can run an effective campaign. He also needs to accept that money because he doesn't have the years of experience of building up an infrastructure. He can't just, I think, uh, pretend that he had a national profile before this. Was it an effective line for Warren that you think? Or or she really went at him for saying, like, hey, you have a lot of donors in this state. And she called his visit to Napa a wine cave and described the opulence of the environment. But Warren herself, she and her husband have $10 million in the last decade. And Buttigieg has the least net worth, according to Forbes, as he pointed out. Is it something that's going to backfire on Warren? Do voters care about this? Well, I guess two things. One is we shouldn't conflate how wealthy you are versus how wealthy your donors are. So those still are very separate issues. I think globally what the candidates are trying to say is I'm the every person. I feel your pain. I'm responsive to the average Jane or Joe. It all comes down to just that relatability. That's the underlying claim. I think that's exactly right. But it's also the case that not many people vote based on who you are your donors are or whether or not you have large donors or small donors. So for Senator Elizabeth Warren, a large part of her campaign narrative has been, I have grassroots support. I'm going to take a selfie with every person who comes to my rallies. But the same isn't true of the other candidates. I don't actually think that's what people vote on. They they vote based on the things that affect their daily lives and where the candidates stand on campaign finance tends not to be one of those. Tonight's winners and losers in your opinion. I thought Amy Klobuchar had a great night. 
uh, I thought that Tom Steyer appeared different in caliber than the rest of the candidates. So those are your two winners. Um, sorry, no. I thought Amy Klobuchar I would pick as a winner. Tom Steyer would pick as the loser. Got, gotcha. Sorry. Gotcha. Because sometimes standing out could be a good yes. thing. Well, I think he stood out in a way that it is clear that he has not run a statewide campaign or a campaign on the national level. I, uh, he had some good ideas. He held up. But I think it's difficult to make the case that a billionaire with no government experience is going to be the solution to a billionaire with no government experience. Final one for you, just Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg. Does this move the needle on the horse race for any of them one way or the other? So for me, the most interesting thing is, will it move the needle for Amy Klobuchar? Uh, I don't think that – I think for Vice President Biden, he stayed steady, which is what everybody cares about. I think for Elizabeth Warren, she didn't have any big gaffes. She kind of solidified a first-tier but not leading candidate position. Uh, Senator Sanders was very consistent. He tells you exactly who he is, and he has had the same policy proposals for a long time. But Amy Klobuchar had a different performance in the sense that she was – Uh, more consistently on and smart. And I'm really curious to see if that changes anything. Jessica Levinson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great having you. Thanks for having me. And you're listening to California Nation. You know what that sound means. It's time for our favorite part of the show, Buzz of the Week, where I give you something I can't stop thinking about. And my buzz this week It comes from Joe Biden. He's the former vice president who's leading the Democratic field in national polls. So he came out with a story recently that was examining the issue of electability. And you can find a link to that in our show notes. Polls in California show Biden's support dipping and Bernie Sanders rising. Still, Elizabeth Warren is the candidate likely primary voters are considering supporting more than any other candidate. For months, we've been trying to get Biden on our show. But when he's visited the state, he's largely ignored the press and instead held private fundraisers. He's only held one public rally of the 39 appearances he's made in the Golden State since announcing his bid for president. But the day after the debate, I got the rare opportunity to ask Biden a question. He wouldn't answer a follow-up I had about how he'd address housing or homelessness, but he did offer a brief response when I asked about why Californians should support him if they prefer a more liberal candidate. Here it is. Mr. Vice President, President, what, if any, personal ties do you have to California, and what's your message to voters in the state who are looking for a more progressive candidate? Well, I don't agree that they're looking for a more progressive candidate. That's not the polling that shows. Well, people like... People still... It was brief, but Joe Biden did, in fact, answer a question, and Joe Biden's dismissal of that question, as well as him hopping in a car and waving goodbye when we tried to ask about housing and homelessness, is what I can't get off my mind. Mr. What Vice are you going to do about housing and homelessness, Mr. Vice President? Mr. Vice President, what's your opponent? Does Pete have to win Iowa? Does Pete have to win Iowa? Does Pete have to win Iowa? Pete, 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 Our invitation for Biden, as well as Bernie Sanders, still stands. And with that, we end our final episode of 2019. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of California Nation. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 
It helps listeners like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. And this podcast comes to you from the Sacramento Bee. If you want to keep this show running, the best way you can do that is by subscribing to our organization. We have a link for you in our show notes. And if you already subscribe, thank you so, so much for your support. And for all the latest political news coming out of California, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian R. Anderson. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. I'll return to your podcast feed early in 2020. And from all of us here at The Bee, I'm Brian Anderson wishing you a joyous holiday season and a safe and happy new year. What's the biggest issue that you didn't get to talk about during the debate that affects California? The most important message to the people of California. Anything about homelessness? Forgiveness. Main message. Thanks for taking time for the California press. We appreciate it.